Good morning. The sermon text from this morning is from Matthew 28, 16 through 20. It's on page 835 if you're using the Pew Bibles. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. We have a guest speaker. Come on, we have a guest speaker today. Uh, Matt Winquist is going to be uh, speaking to us. He's the discipleship pastor at Wildwood Church in the Quad Cities area. You may recognize the last name. Um, he's a son of Wayne and Cindy, uh, also brother to Beth. Right? Mm-hmm. You're older, right? Yep. Two years. Two years. Two years. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're grateful to have him. He's going to be challenging us from this passage that we just heard. So uh, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Jeremy. It is an honor to be here with you this morning. Um, just to, kind of by way of uh, heads up, there's a lot of scripture passages attached to this. I didn't put them in a PowerPoint, um, and, but there's a couple of pages that are out on the table out there. Uh, they'll be very helpful during the sermon. If not during the week, you can look, and look them up. Um, if you want one of those, I would head out and get one now before we really get going. Um, you've already should be in your Bibles. If you're not, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. That is the passage that we're going to be looking at uh, uh, the most, in the most detail this morning. Um, as you're turning there, um, I'll tell you, uh, read you a little story that um, uh, maybe you've heard it before. Uh, it, it's surrounding the, the Queen of England and a humorous encounter she had with an American tourist at one time, but it'll help us understand uh, the point of our Bible passage today, or at least one of them. Uh, so here's the story. An ex-royal protection officer recounted the moment the Queen bumped into two American tourists who somehow didn't recognize her. No surprise there, we're not usually too in tune with what's going on on the other side of the world, but... Richard Griffin had accompanied the monarch on a picnic when they encountered the pair who were on a walking holiday. Uh, The queen would always stop and say hello. It was clear from the moment we first stopped they hadn't recognized her, he told Sky News. The American man began telling the royal about his plans for the holiday and what the pair hoped to do next before asking her where she lived. (laughs) Mr. Griffin recalled, she said, well, I live in London, but I've got a holiday home just on the other side of the hills. (laughs) The tourist then asked the queen how long she'd been visiting the area, and she replied she'd been doing so for over 80 years since she was a little girl. Uh, Well, if you've been coming for 80 years, you must have met the queen. (laughs) He asked none the wiser. As quick as a flash, the queen admitted she hadn't, but added, Dickie here meets her regularly. (laughs) This prompted the traveler to turn to Mr. Griffin, eager for an answer. She can be very cantankerous at times, but she's got a lovely sense of humor, Mr. Griffin said. Still, oblivious to the fact he was in the presence of royalty, the tourist threw his arm around the bodyguard and pushed his camera into the queen's hand and asked if she'd mind him taking a picture and a photo of him. 
the queen obliged before she and her bodyguards waved goodbye to the Americans. Once the tourists were out of earshot, she turned to Mr. Griffin and said, I'd love to be on a, a fly on the wall when, she shows that, when, when he shows those photographs to his friends in America. Hopefully, someone tells him who I am. Um, <laughs> a very a humorous story, but um, focusing on that, that, those last little words are, are interesting. Hopefully, somebody tells him who I am. Like, if the guy had understood, if, the, if that couple had understood that they were in the presence of the queen, I think their behavior would have been a little bit different. They, they would have treated her differently. They would have, they would have, uh, um, they would have at least probably would have asked the bodyguard to take a picture of them with the queen and probably would have done so much more respectfully rather than shut. So a very similar thing happens in the passage that we're covering today. Um, it actually happens throughout the whole Bible, but it, it finds its point at the end of Jesus' ministry. Um, and I'm going to show you what we mean as we go on. And so we've already read the text of, of Matthew uh, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Um, and, uh, and so we're just, we're, we're going to move on. I want you to think about though, as we're, as we're looking at Matthew 28, 16 to 20, every Bible passage is, has a context, right? And so what is the context? The most immediate context of this passage is the resurrection. Jesus had just defeated death. He, he died on the cross for sins, a gruesome death. He was in the grave for parts of three days and he rose again, like he's alive, and so um, we have to understand this, what happens in these verses, in light of the fact that Jesus just rose again from the grave. Uh, the second part of the context is there's this worship of the disciples being directed at Jesus. Uh, not just in our passage, it specifically calls that out, but several verses earlier, it says that the disciples worshipped him. They fell down on his feet and worshipped him. Jesus doesn't stop them. He allows them to worship him. We have to understand this passage in light of the fact that Jesus is being worshipped. And we have to understand it in the context of Jesus' ministry as a whole. Matthew was meant to be read as a whole document. And so we've seen Jesus uh, born, we've seen him grow up, we've seen his teachings, we've seen how he, he interacted with his disciples, we've seen his acts of mercy, we've seen him with uh, scathing remarks for the religious elite of the day who didn't understand or believe who he was. Um, we saw the miracles, we saw, we saw all the things, feeding of the 5,000, and we saw his death, burial, and resurrection, and so we have to understand this in light of that. So, uh, this passage tells us what Jesus expects out of his disciples, that they're to make disciples. In doing so, he defines the process, he gives us an expected outcome, and he tells us how we'll be enabled to do it. All of these things are important. We're going to unpack them all as we go along this morning. Um, and so there's, there's uh, six things that we're going we're gonna to see that, is, that uh, a disciple is this morning. Um, in, the, in that packet that, or that paper that has the, the verses on it, all five, of the, or five or six of the things that we're going to look at uh, this morning are listed in there. Uh, and the verses are going to go in order, and so you should be able to follow along with them pretty easily without having to flip all over your Bible. Um, you can look them up in their context later. That would be a great thing to do. Um, the very first thing that our passage tells us that a disciple is, is that a disciple understands who Jesus is and worships him. 
A disciple understands who Jesus is and worships him. Um, and we see this uh, right away in our passage when we look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went into Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Well, it's interesting that some doubted. Why did they doubt? It's because they didn't really understand who Jesus was. If they had, they would have worshipped him. Absolutely. Um, now... A couple of weeks ago, I was preparing a lesson for uh, my, the gospel project class that I teach at church and, and uh, wanted to, I knew there was videos out there that, that demonstrated like some size relationship in terms of celestial bodies like the moon, the earth, sun, whatnot, um, because I wanted, I wanted to communicate some sense of how powerful God was. And so I looked for this video, didn't find the one I was looking for, but I, I found this one that I'm about to show you. And... Um, I got to tell you, watching this video, it's not done by Christians, um, but yet for the first time in a very long time, I sat there just blown away about who God is. And um, it, it changed something in me and helped me realize how significant it is what Jesus is saying right here. And so I think you've got that video queued up right there. Uh, watch it and, and sense how amazing God is. So how'd that make you feel? Very small. Yeah. Um, the thing that blew me away the most about that is you look at uh, it very quickly. You didn't have to get too many suns into it. And what did the earth look like? Less than a pixel. And then the things that seem big, pixel, pixel, pixel. So, so tiny. What does this have to do with Matthew 28, 16 through 20? When Jesus says, go and make disciples. I promise you I'm going to make the connection to Jesus. All right? Very first place that we're going to go, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's very significant because what we just watched is some observable known part of his creation. God created that. How does it say that he did that? In Genesis 1, 14 through 19, it talks about the day that God created all that that we just observed in that video. And it says this, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. All the way down at the end of verse 16, it says, And the stars were part of that creation. How did God make all of that? And we only know about 93 billion light years worth of the universe. We don't even know the end of it. A light year is 9.46 trillion miles. 9.46 trillion miles times 93 billion. That's what we, and God, how did he do it? He spoke. He just said it and it happened. That's, that's the God that we serve. He is amazing, he is glorious. Keep reading Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. This was the passage that caused me to look for this particular video. It says, You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heavens worships you. 
the God who created that also holds it all together. He holds it, he holds it together at the tiniest, minute, subatomic particles. He designed those too. Like, can you imagine designing something you can't even see? But God designed it all, and he designed all of that by speaking it into existence, and he holds it all together so that it keeps working. How powerful do you have to be in order to be able to do that? Crazy powerful. Connected to Jesus. The very first thing that John, probably Jesus' closest friend and confidant on earth, communicates to us about who Jesus is, is this in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. All right. Some pretty, uh, jump down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So a few things that we learn at the very beginning of John. One, the Word was God. And through the Word, through God's Word, the spoken Word, He created everything. There's nothing that wasn't created that wasn't created by the Word. He designed it. He spoke it into existence. And then we find out that the Word is Jesus. The Word is Jesus. Jesus spoke creation, the universe, into existence. Some untold expanse of, it could be many, many multiple times bigger than we even know it is. And Jesus spoke it into existence. And so, a disciple understands who Jesus is and worships him. The disciples fell at his feet and worshiped him. Some doubted, obviously, because they didn't know who he was. Clearly, they didn't know who he was. What's really amazing about this is Jesus is that powerful. And then Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So our God who has cosmic powers beyond our comprehension. We sinned in the beginning. The human race deserves his wrath. The God who created all that and that thing that's way, way, way less than a pixel. He could have said, ah, yeah, you messed up. I'll start over with that part. But what did he do? Instead of starting over, He wanted to redeem us, and he sent his son to be one of us, incarnate son of God, made himself less than nothing. That that brings a new light to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Sometimes we think of ourselves as more significant than we are. In the scope of God's creation, we are important to him because he sent his son to die for us, but we are so small compared, and he made himself one of us. What an amazing truth. And sometimes I think we also trick ourselves into thinking that somehow the Son of God was coerced by the Father in some sense to come and, and die for us. And like, surprise, there you go, zap, you're born uh, of a baby. No, no, that's not what First Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 11 says. Listen to this. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, speaking of like Isaiah, Jeremiah, those, those guys, 
who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of who? Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. The creator of the universe, the one that spoke all that into existence, knew beforehand what was going to happen. Before he even created the world, he knew that he was going to have to come and die to redeem it. And it was his idea the whole time. He was the one that predicted his own sufferings, and he still came and died for our sins. In spite of knowing every sin that you and I would ever commit, a disciple understands who Jesus is and worships him. That has a new meaning. You can't read the Great Commission with a laissez-faire attitude anymore. We're talking about the glorious King of Kings and Lord of Lords tells us, make disciples. All right, so a disciple understands who Jesus is and worships him. It says, and they saw them, they worshiped him, and some doubted. A disciple also submits to the authority of Jesus. I'll keep reading. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority and in, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Where? All authority where? On heaven and on earth. So pretty much all authority, everywhere. There is no place where Jesus' authority doesn't exist. A disciple understands who Jesus is and worships him, and a disciple submits to the authority of Jesus. In Luke chapter 7, verses 2 through 10, it's interesting that very few people throughout Jesus' life and ministry submitted to and recognized the authority of Jesus. Um, the religious leaders of the day who had the scriptures and knew them well didn't submit to him. And yet there was a Roman centurion who had literal human authority over Jesus and yet submits to his authority. We find his story in Luke chapter 7, verses 2 through 10. If you skip down to verse 6, it says, The centurion sent friends saying to him, uh, he, so he had a servant that was sick and wanted him healed. And uh, so the centurion sent friends to Jesus, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But say the word and let my servant be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to, a ser to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. Think about just that last part. He marveled at him. The guy that spoke and boom, everything existed, marveled at a centurion. I think Jesus still today marvels when you, a 21st century American who've never met Jesus, submits your life to him, worships him, and follows him just because you believe what the word of God says. I want Jesus to marvel at my faith. I want Jesus to marvel at my obedience. I want to, Jesus to marvel at the fact that I submit to his authority. A disciple understands who Jesus is and worships him. The disciple submits to the authority of Jesus. Third thing a disciple does, a disciple does what Jesus did. In other words, we follow Jesus' example. Uh, it's interesting. What did Jesus do when he was on the earth? He preached the good news of the kingdom of heaven. He had compassion on those who were, who were sinners. He had mercy on them. Uh, he, was, he spoke out against the religious elite who thought they were self-righteous, that they had earned righteousness of their own. Um, 
he healed people, he, he cast out demons, he, and all these things uh, are true. And he did it in front of disciples. He chose 12 men at the beginning of his ministry, and he took them along and showed them how to do it. He gave them opportunities to do it as well. We know that there were 12 disciples. I'm not going to go to a passage that talks about that. But, we'll, uh, but Luke chapter 10, verse 1 says this. Not everybody recognizes this, but he also had a, a group of 72 disciples. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Um, so there's a group of 72 disciples, and Jesus sent them out on mission. They came back, and they talked about excitedly about what they had done. And, um, and Jesus said at the end of that, an interesting thing that he said was, you know, don't marvel at the fact that demons listen to you. Marvel that your names are written in the book of life. Um, that is, and that is the message that we carry. We have the message that allows people, the gospel allows people to have their name written in the book of life. So Jesus has 72 disciples. Um, in John chapter 6, verses 60 to 69, we also said so we're not going to read most of that. You can look at it later. Actually, reading all of John chapter 6 is helpful because within that context, Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood in order to have any part of me. And Jesus clearly explains that what he's talking about when he says that is you need to believe in me because I am the only source of eternal satisfaction and um, sustenance. That's me. I'm the only one. I'm the only way. And verse 66 of uh, John chapter 6 says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And I point that out not, not, only, not just to say that some people decided not to follow Jesus, but it says that, they, that many of his disciples stopped following him. We don't know how many. It just says many. Many of them stopped. I'm guessing that because crowds still continue to follow him that he still had many disciples. So Jesus was modeling what he wanted us to do. He wants us to have disciples who make disciples. One more passage that I want to point out to you. Um, I think uh, we often ignore this or at least uh, kind of pass it off as just, uh, just read right over it. Luke chapter 8 verses 1 to 3 tells us this. Soon afterwards, he went through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits. Mary, Mag Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others. Many others. We're talking about women. Many others were following Jesus everywhere he went, and who provided for them out of their means. I don't think, I, I want you to not miss the fact that Jesus had women disciples. Um, and, and we know that Jesus did that, this at the risk of his own reputation. People accused him of associating with prostitutes. Um, discipleship can be very messy. Now, personally, I recommend, and our, our discipleship process at our church is men disciple men and women disciple women. That is the best case scenario. But... Jesus valued women. Women are to be disciples too. Um, they have a role to play. And Jesus' ministry wouldn't have been as effective if these women weren't a part of it. Uh, what is the definition of a disciple so far that we have? A disciple understands who Jesus is and worships him. These, these women 
were cured of diseases, had demons cast out, they knew who Jesus was, and they worshipped him. A disciple is someone who submits to Jesus' authority. They followed him everywhere he went. So far, these women followed the line. They understood who he was, they submit to his authority, they followed him everywhere. And they were actively engaged in his ministry. Very important to, to know. This leads to the fourth thing that a disciple is or does. A disciple does what Jesus commands. Go back to our passage there. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. All right? So a disciple, a, a disciple does what Jesus commands. He commands them. What is the command that's found here? Make disciples. All right? Make disciples is the controlling command. Everything else that's around it supports that, tells us how we're supposed to do it. Um, a disciple does what Jesus commands. What is it then that Jesus commands? Like, do you ever, you ever think about that? Um, like, what is, what is it when Jesus says, teach them to obey how much? Most of the things that Jesus commands or everything? Obey everything, observe everything. What is the everything? There are a number of passages that are a number of teachings that Jesus has that gives us a, a summary statement of what that everything is. Uh, we're not going to cover everything that Jesus teaches about us, teaches us to obey. There are more. It was a, it's a good study. Read through the Gospels, see what Jesus actually says to obey. I think we also have to expand the scope of what Jesus says to the entire Bible. Because remember, the Spirit of Christ was the one that was prophesying of his own. So Genesis to Revelation is Jesus' command. So we have to consider that. But it's a helpful thing to go through the, the Gospels and see what Jesus actually spoke to his disciples, what he actually talked to them. Um, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven to 40 tells us this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And this is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so... Jesus sums up all of his teaching by saying love. Love God, love people. Uh, John chapter 15, verses 12 to 17. Again, we're not going to read that whole thing. John 15 is a really important passage in the Bible uh, and Jesus' teaching about abiding in him. He starts this passage out in verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Later he talks about abiding in him. Um, in verse 17, you jump down to verse 17, it says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Um, and so Jesus very much focuses on the concept of love. Love God, love people. Earlier in John chapter 15, he says this, abide in me and I in you. As the branch, you can bear fruit by itself. As, a, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And so Jesus teaches, you need to abide in me. How does one abide in God's word? You have to read it. You have to study it. You have to understand it. And when you do, the Spirit gives you the ability to understand it and to obey it. That's how you abide. It's a, it's a relationship. Interesting how that verse ends. Verse 5 ends with, for apart from me, you can do some things. No, you're right, you're listening. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
There is nothing about the Christian that you can't make disciples apart from God. You, you, you can't make a disciples apart from Jesus, the person of Jesus himself. Apart from me, you can do nothing. First John 2, 3 through 6 says this, and, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. So a disciple knows who Jesus is and worships him, submits to Jesus' authority, follows what Jesus did, the example that Jesus set, and teaches the very same things that Jesus himself taught about himself and how then to live. Which leads to the fifth thing that a disciple is or does. A disciple passes on the teachings of the teacher. The disciple passes on the teachings of the teacher, the very specific things about what Jesus teaches about himself and what to do and how then to live. We're going we're gonna to fly through a few of the things. And John, specifically, Jesus teaches about himself all the I am statements. Um, he says in John chapter 14, verses 5 through 7, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus has a very exclusive command there. I am the way. There is no other way. You want a relationship with God? You want restoration? You want redemption? It's through me. There is no other way. And so we as disciples have to teach that thing. There is only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is teaching that I am life. There is no other sustenance. You can eat physical bread, drink physical water, and you will get hungry and thirst again. But someday Jesus will sustain us forever and ever and ever just because of who he is. We see this at the end of Revelation. There's a river of a water of life flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. Jesus, and, and there's trees that are nourished by this river of water, and those trees are for the sustenance of the nations and the healing of the nations. Jesus is very literally living bread and living water for us that will sustain us forever. John 10, 7 through 9 says, I am the door. He's talking about the, the door to his sheepfold. Uh, if you want into the Father's sheepfold, the door for that sheepfold is Jesus. You can't get in any other way. There's no other way into the Father's sheepfold. Incidentally, also, in the same passage, he says, I am the good shepherd. So you can't get into the sheepfold without Jesus, because he's the door, but he's also the one that tends the flock and cares for the flock. I am the good shepherd. Some people say that Jesus never claims to be God. This is one of those places that if you know your scripture, Jesus is claiming to be God. And there's a lot of passages. I, I encourage you to read through Ezekiel chapter 34 and look how, how God describes himself as the shepherd when the people of, of, of God, are his under-shepherds, are mishandling, mistreating, and abusing his people. And, and God says, someday I am going to shepherd my people. And I am going to treat them right. And I am going to lead them in a righteous way. Um, Psalm 23.1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 31 says, And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God. 
declares the Lord God. And when you, when you read Ezekiel 34 as a whole, and then read Jesus' statement saying, I am the good, good shepherd, the only thing Jesus can be claiming there is that he is God himself. Because there is no one else that has ever tended his sheep the way that Ezekiel 34 says. And Jesus is claiming that for himself. And so we have to teach that Jesus is the good shepherd and that he is the door. He's the only way to heaven. John chapter 8, verses 58 59 says, Jesus says, makes this statement uh, to people who were questioning who he was. He says, before Abraham was, I am. In other words, I predated your father Abraham who lived a couple thousand years ago. And so the people, and, and so we can make the assumption that Jesus was claiming to be God. And if we have any doubt whether or not these are the sorts of things that Jesus was claiming, later in John chapter 10, 33, um, the, the people say, it is not for good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy because you, being a man, make yourself God. In other words, you're claiming to be God. Um, and he was. He was claiming to be God. And if he's not God, that's a terrible, foolish thing to claim. And yet, Jesus was God and able to claim that. And that was what he was teaching. And so we need to teach, guess what? That Jesus is God. That he claimed to be God. Um, One last thing that we'll look at uh, that Jesus claimed is in John chapter 8, verse 23 to 24. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. There's a very hard message that comes with an exclusive God who is powerful and overall, and that is, if you don't believe in him, you will die in your sins. You will go to hell forever. That is something that we have to teach. The flip side is also true, that God who is glorious and magnificent and powerful and just for condemning us to hell, is also merciful and provided a way so that we can have life and redemption and restoration instead. And that is what a disciple does. We do that very thing. A disciple does what Jesus commands and the disciple passes on the teachings of the teacher. Now Jesus, Jesus taught, he taught more about um, who he was and what he did. You can search that for yourself in the New Testament. I want to jump back, though, as we read again in Matthew 20. says, says, Go therefore and make disciples. We've said that make disciples is the, the controlling command there. How do we do that? How do we do that? It says, go. So there is an, there's an action involved in making disciples. You actually have to go. There's, there's a... And where? Where does it say we should go? All nations. We, so when we're thinking about discipleship, we have to think about, and, and Jesus, the creator of the universe, is telling us like the extent to which we're supposed to go. He's saying all nations. So our definition of discipleship has to include not just, it does include the person next door, it does include your family, but it includes the entire world. And so when we're thinking about discipleship, our, our vision for that has to be what your church has already agreed to. I see it on the wall out there that, that you want to go into the nations, that you have to have a strategy for reaching the nations. So discipleship has to have that in mind. How are we going to train our people to go to the nations? How are we going to train our people to send to the nations? How are we going to train our people to pray for the nations? 
How are we going to train our people? How are we going to equip our people to equip people to go to the nations? Um, and what else does it say? It says baptize. Baptize in what? Um, some random name? No. The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is a specific name. Jesus is, and it's Jesus' salvation is the only salvation. And it is the name of the triune God that we baptize people into uh, as a, a way to identify them with who he is. It's a finished work that's already happened in their life. We baptize people. I know you do too at this church. You baptize people for something that has already taken place on the inside. It is demonstrating that they have died with Christ and have been raised to walk in newness of life. It is not something that saves you, but it is something that Jesus commands as a testimony to the world around us that we are and have been saved by Jesus Christ and we're new in him. And then it says, teach them to obey everything I commanded you. And to do it to all nations. And so multiplication is at the heart of what Jesus, reproduction is at the heart of what Jesus, so Jesus is asking us, he's telling us, the God of the universe, who spoke everything in existence, says, make disciples. And he has the nations in mind. And so, as a disciple of Jesus, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to have in mind, how am I going to do what Jesus commands? How am I going to get ready to do it? And how am I going to bring other people along with me to reach the nations of Jesus Christ? That's, that's a tall order. A disciple does what Jesus commands. A disciple passes on the teachings of the teacher and right now, you should be feeling very, very overwhelmed. <laughs> right? Because this is a really big thing. And God is telling us we're supposed to do it. I don't feel like I can do it. Good news. We keep reading. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And, it's a really good end. And, behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. Think about that for a second. The God who spoke galaxies into existence is with you always to help you accomplish the task that he told you you have to do. You have unlimited power at your disposal and mine to do Admittedly, a very difficult task, but he created everything. He can help you do something on little old earth that's very, very difficult, yes, for you and me, but he's pretty powerful. Uh, I think he's going to win, and so we can go along with him for this task. The disciple was empowered by Jesus. He flipped back to um, earlier. We had John 15, 4 through 5. It says... I'll just remind you of what it says. It says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. A disciple bears fruit, but you will not bear fruit apart from him. He is the only source of strength and power and might and salvation, and we must abide in him in order to do it. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So we've talked about what a disciple is, and briefly before we 
close here, we're going to talk also about who isn't a disciple. This is very important because you need to wrestle with, in your own mind, in your own heart, am I a disciple of Jesus Christ? Here are some things that the Bible teaches that a disciple is not. All right, who isn't a disciple? First passage I want you to consider is John chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. Very popular verse, starts out there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So who is not a disciple? It's someone who does not believe that God, that Jesus is who he says he was. Jesus says, I'm God, I'm creator of the universe, and you must make disciples because I've redeemed them. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world, that light is Jesus, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. So people condemn themselves for their own evil deeds. And what we have is the message of reconciliation that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And the only people who are disciples, who consider themselves disciples, are ones who have believed that Jesus who he, he is who he said he was. Uh, Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. We're not going to read the whole thing. It's a very poignant passage where Jesus says three times, if you don't do this, you can't be my disciple, cannot be my disciple. It says it in verse 26, it says it in verse 27, and it says it in verse 23. His ultimate point at the end is, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. In other words, the point Jesus is making in this passage as a whole isn't don't love your mom and dad, don't love your children. The point that Jesus is saying is nothing can take priority, anywhere close to priority except for me. My commands, my will be done, and you need to put me above everything. You cannot be Jesus' disciple if that is not your uh, mindset. 1 John 2, 3 through 6 says, and verse 4 in particular, it says, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Do you do what Jesus commands? Are, are you ready, active, and willing, if not active, and willing to make a disciple. Jesus calls you to make disciples. Is God a liar? Or are you going to obey? Matthew 27, 21 to 23 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's a very powerful, poignant passage. People call Jesus Lord. They, they do Jesus-y things. Um, things that Jesus would want them to do. And yet, what was the key there? Jesus doesn't know them. How is it that you can know that Jesus knows you. I mean, the Gospel of John itself says these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you might have life in his name. You believe in Jesus, who he says he was, then you have life in his name, and the Father knows you. So, if this, if this all doesn't describe who you are, your first 
thing that you need to do today is have a relationship with Jesus. How do you have a relationship with Jesus? By believing that he is who he says he was. He's the creator of the universe, and he's also the savior of the world through his son, Jesus Christ. Death, burial, and resurrection. One more passage, very similar. We'll end with this one. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. It says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Now, I'm not 100% sure about what I'm about to tell you, but I think, I think there's something to this. Uh, in the Hebrew language, um, there's a couple of words that we translate Lord. One of them is Yahweh, God's personal name. At least we, we think that's how it's pronounced. We're not really sure. Um, but Yahweh. And the reason why we don't know how necessarily for sure how it's pronounced is because um, the Jewish people, when they would read the scriptures in the synagogues, they would, when they came to the word Yahweh, God's personal name, they would say Adonai out loud. Now, there's another Hebrew word that we translate Lord, and it's also Adonai. And sometimes in the Bible, um, we have Yahweh, Adonai right next to each other. And when, so when, when you're in the synagogue and you're reading through the Hebrew scriptures, it will say, they'll read out loud, Adonai, Adonai. And so in Greek, it would have been kurios, kurios. Or, um, and so that's what we have in, in, in our Greek. Why do you call me kurios, kurios? Why do you call me Adonai, Adonai? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? I believe Jesus is, at the very least, hinting at the fact that why do you call me the thing that the scriptures calls Yahweh and don't do what I tell you? Do you understand who Jesus is? If you do, the only response is to worship him because he is immeasurably powerful. He has the power to condemn you to hell forever, and he also has the power to rescue you and to redeem you and to buy you back, and he has the power to do that for every person out there in the world. Back to that story from the beginning. You know, the queen said, I hope somebody tells them who I am. We have somebody that's infinitely more powerful than the Queen of England who has given us the job of discipleship. And what he's asking you and what he's hoping that you will do is I hope that you will go and tell them who I am and what I've done for them. Let's pray. Father, We stand in awe of who you are, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we stand in awe of who you are and what you've done for us. Thank you for shedding your blood on the cross for our sins. Thank you for not staying dead, for rising again physically. Thank you for the hope that we have that um, through your taking the wrath of the Father on our behalf, you, you secured our redemption if only we would believe. I pray that, that that truth would impact us so deeply today that we would desire to serve you with the rest of our lives, that we would bring the message of reconciliation to the nations, and we would be all about our daily lives, trying to prepare ourselves and others to do that very task and to do it, because we love you and we want to serve you. 
Give us the strength, Lord. Thank you that you've promised to be with us always, and I pray that you would do just that. Strengthen this church here. Uh, I pray that you strengthen Memorial, that they would, that this would be a place that uh, is alive with people who want to make disciples, that you would empower them to do that, you would equip them to do that, and you would send them out, and they would be bold for the cause of your name and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.